0: Hey everybody, Zach Flock here with another episode of Shop Talk. I'm really excited about this one. I am joined by our frequent uh, contributor here on Shop Talk, Elena Manchester. Hello, Elena.
1: Hi, Zach, thanks for having me. Of
0: course, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm super excited because the person that we're talking to today is someone I've wanted to have on Shop Talk. For a long time. Um, She was on one of our live episodes on a panel, but you don't get a whole lot of time to talk when you're on a panel. So I'm really excited that we get to spend some time talking to her today. She's appeared in drama shop shows such as Copenhagen, Dorian Gray, Rabbit Hole, Angels in America, Heisenberg, and Humans. I think that's the whole list. It's Jess Anunziata. How are you?
2: Good, thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me today. Yeah,
0: totally. I'm really excited because as we were saying before we started recording, this is a group of people that I could talk to for hours anyway. So we might as well record it and maybe someone else will get something out of it too.
2: Thank you three people. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. You nerds, turn this off. Yeah,
0: what are you doing?
1: How bored are you? (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I was just talking about you today. Me? Yeah, I was talking about Dorian Gray today. Whoa. Right? What a <laughs> Yeah, we were having a discussion about devised theater, and I, they, I was like, I have no idea how I do it, and I've been doing it, but one of the earliest times was this Dorian Gray thing that happened.
0: So, Elena, for people who don't know what happened, do you want to tell them <laughs> what
1: happened? Yeah, so I agreed to direct Machinal. And yeah. um, Jess and Anziata, our guest, was like, hey, I want to assistant direct. I'm like, great. Perfect. I love having an assistant director as competent and wonderful and valued as she. So we get there as a the day before auditions. And my producer is- That's me. Oh, by the way, slight change. We didn't get the rights. We're not doing that one. We're going to do Dorian Gray. By okay.
0: Well, hold on. Hold, hold on.
1: written it yet.
0: Wait, 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 let me stop you because first of all, (laughs) I don't, I will take as much of the blame as I can, but you and I were both, and all of us were under the,
1: I thought it was public domain. I really thought it was public domain.
0: We thought Machinal was public domain and that we didn't have to get the rights. Yeah. And then I, I did a little bit of digging a little deeper and discovered, what was it like the, the diocese of Tucson, Arizona or some some very weird.
1: Sophie Treadwell, who's the author, she was really involved with the orphanage there for native children. And so when she, uh, she didn't have any heirs apparent. So she left her estate to the Catholic Church specifically for, I believe, these orphan children that she really was involved in. And so not only (laughs) is it definitely not public domain, I was like, yeah, let's do this project. And it's going to be very movement intense. And we was, Drama Shop was young at the time. Yeah,
0: I think it was maybe our third season.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I was just back from Chicago. And so anyways, uh, then we found out like, whoopsie noodles, that's not going to happen, but it's cool. We're going to write a play just as a springboard for you to devise and do your thing. And I'm like, I don't have a thing. I don't know what that means.
0: So we brought my wife in and she worked on a couple of drafts um, with you and and put it together. And then you kind of took that as a jumping off point and pulled a really cool show together. And and Jess then switched from AD to the the title character of the show.
1: (laughs) Yep. There were parts from the script that were left very open intentionally. Remember there was one part where I'm like, we need to see like society turning on her. So we blocked this sort of like experiment that we came up with where I was like, everybody write down your shadiest, meanest, Facebookiest insults and we put them all in a pot and then we all like pulled different ones. And I was like, Jess, I'm going to
2: send you this song I think we should use for this moment. It's iconic. It was Creep by Postmodern Jukebox, right? It was, oh my but God, that was so not good. the
1: song I sent you. Do you remember this? I sent you.
2: Was it a Taylor Swift song? Or it something? was. It was Shake It <laughs> Off.
1: And you were trying to be so polite and you were like, um, this, is a, this is an interesting choice. Uh, I'm sure it is iconic, but I'm not sure if it fits the exact. But I was, uh, Then I realized what I sent you. We had a great big old laugh.
0: <laughs> so obviously there was a gender reversal in the character of Dorian Gray with, mm-hmm. with you playing it. Did you feel any sense of like, this is an iconic character? Or did you really approach it as like, this is a new
2: thing? Uh, you know, it kind of felt like a new thing. I guess there was an element of, I do like playing men. I've had an opportunity a few times with both of you doing Shakespeare at Ganon and stuff like (laughs) that. Um, It's true. But but it was more, it was was so far removed from the novel in a lot of ways that, yeah, I I didn't even really think of that. I don't think, or I don't recall thinking about it. But maybe also that character kind of lends himself to being genderless in a way because Mm -hmm. it's about vanity and it's about youth and uh to a degree status
0: yeah yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. you mentioned shakespeare summer nights and that just reminds me of just how long we've known you
2: more than half my life
0: yeah that makes me (laughs) feel (laughs) oh because elena and i would have been in college and i remember you as a high school student competing in a shakespeare monologue competition at gannon and then Auditioning for Shakespeare summer nights and I might have those out of order, but yeah So you would have been what like 15
2: 15 I think okay, so I guess half my life
0: So was that your I mean you had been doing theater already at that point kind of in in high school and stuff Right or when did you start yeah. this crazy adventure?
2: <laughs> this crazy adventure we call theater, the theater. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it really pretty much started in high school because uh, my elementary middle school didn't really do stuff. I mean, I played a band leader like in sixth Ooh. grade or something, which is amazing. Like have the kid with no musical training and <laughs> who's not super comfortable with her rhythm be the band leader. Awesome. Love it. Um, <laughs> but other than that, it was it was high school. There's not a lot of opportunities for kids if you're not a musical theater star.
0: And even like doing Shakespeare is not something a, a teenager would typically gravitate toward
2: do you think i think we all kind of have that idea Well, it wasn't
0: for me i guess
2: really <laughs> but I, guess... I was the
0: musical theater kid so i guess i'm well, the other kid you're talking about Yeah. there you
2: go and i was the brooding like mm, oh I was brooding. I was brooding i was plenty brooding <laughs> <laughs> well who isn't in high school
0: it's possible to be brooding and do musical theater at the same time that's We're... kind of my jam <laughs> you,
2: can be, you can be brooding and do sports by the way <laughs>
1: some of us didn't Is do that it. real yeah uh
0: the, the coaches told <laughs> yeah. me otherwise so
1: <laughs> <laughs> i remember you auditioning or no i remember you wore that terrible costume that i made uh in midsummer in 2005 i no. loved
2: it i just felt like Stop. it was a
1: motley crew groovy. it was the, it was terrible i'm so sorry i did that to you <laughs>
0: Like you know, see, sorry. I disagree. I'm with Jess I thought here. they were cool. I, yeah, Elena, mm. I always thought that your costumes were really cool. And I'll be blunt, that ah. you did so much with so little so was little always talent. really impressive.
2: So well, no, little I mean, you- knowledge. <laughs> no.
0: So little thread. I mean, it was all <laughs> glue. Hot
1: glue. Hot glue, baby. Staples. <laughs> Um, I remember you auditioning and being in the first camp we had. It was a day camp, and you were you were in that. And I remember directing you in uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona.
2: Yeah, I remember that. Emily Baxter and I did the costumes.
1: Yeah, you did. And then you were both in Zach's Macbeth, and you were the witches.
2: <sighs> oh, that That production, to me, is like one of those moments that I still think of. You were such an incredible Lady Macbeth. And Chris was like a really compelling <gasps> Macbeth and working it was with Zach, so good. I totally, yeah. uh, like, who did I have a crush on more, Chris or Miles? Oh, you know, right? like, right?
1: Agreed. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I got to look like Amy Winehouse. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That
0: was my first directing gig. And I just remember being like, this is such a great ensemble. I could just work with these people over and over again. So
2: oh i love that also everybody listening you have to hit zach flock up for the soundtrack to that show <gasps> yeah i'm totally putting do. him on the spot now you better rustle that up because people are going to be asking i'll see
0: maybe i'll I'll try to do a spotify playlist of it if i can
2: yes, it was so good. it's fire
0: it took me a while though to figure out that there are other things that i can do to put my stamp on a show other than picking music but are making it was- about politics well, no, I still do that. No, you still do that. <laughs> Theater is politics, right? It's it is, political. always, always. Definitely. So tell us a little bit then about your your training. You went off and, and did some intense training. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I studied uh, through NYU Tisch School of the Arts at Stella Adler uh, Studio of Acting. So I still had a liberal arts education uh, two days a week. And then three days a week of conservatory training so that entailed um, movement classes a ballet for actors class um, voice and speech adler technique improv scene study you know all the classics classical scene study and the the adler training was fun because a lot of those quirks and like jokes that we make about acting school are totally real like studying at adler you had to wear all black you, I mean, even to the degree of, like, avoiding logos and stuff on your track pants or the track pants stripe. That's amazing. All black workout clothes. Did they tell you why? Um, I think it probably had to do with letting the work shine and not being distracting otherwise. But I wonder if they ever explained that or if they were just like, this is what you do if you want to be a serious actor.
0: I mean, I guess there is a certain, I could see a certain value in like starting with a blank canvas, right? And so if everyone is in just neutral, all black, then it gives you that kind of starting point.
1: And it's great to mock, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That it's real.
0: (laughs) That's so good. There there was that Saturday Night (laughs) Live
1: where they made fun of like,
0: the high school actors. Yeah.
1: Yes. They're like, I think, this one's just so they can kiss each other (laughs) yeah it is
0: so do you find that you do you approach things the same way every time in terms of preparation or do you find that depending on the show you know for instance something like dorian gray compared to angels in america is it a totally different process are there things from your training that you're always gonna go to these same kind of tools or how does that work
2: Uh, You know, the two examples you picked out, I feel like are amazing because I was ready to say the only thing that's ever the same and it's always the same, which now I realize like with Dorian Gray is not necessarily true, uh, is that I read the script like a bunch of times and the first or second time I write down everything that I don't understand or that I don't know, whether it's a word or a reference or a context or whatever. That's like the one thing that's always the same. Definitely I'm thinking about objectives and tactics and stuff, but my level of thoroughness with that definitely varies. And with Dorian Gray, I don't know that I went to the script as much. With devised work, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't work that way.
0: Let's say like Angels in America and Heisenberg. If I were to look at your scripts from those two shows, would they look the same in terms of like the way that you mark things up, or you know how you kind of break things apart?
2: They would probably look the same, like highlighting pencil notes and those little like plasticky tabs. <laughs> to all my scenes. oh, I love those. Yeah, uh, I do too. Mm. I love when I can color code them, but you know sometimes oh, you, right. and you can't. You just yeah. do the best you can. <laughs> School supplies nerds here. It's yeah, like.
0: I always love when when you have a script, especially if it's like. I I used to always like to photocopy my scripts so that they were bigger and I had more room to like mark them up and everything. But I always loved when I could take out the pages that I wasn't on because (laughs) it made it so much less intimidating to have 30 pages as opposed to 90 pages. I'm like, all right, I can do this. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. I love that. That's kind of like, do you guys ever buy secondhand scripts and you see like, the highlighting or the notes (gasps) Mm -hmm. of them. And and sometimes you can't tell who somebody played because maybe it was for a class or maybe it was the director, but your scripts, we would know. I always get nervous
1: when students borrow
2: my scripts because of the kinds of things I write in my scripts. (laughs) Ooh, like what? So tell us about your process and when you're writing in those scripts.
1: Yeah. Well, um, actually I haven't really tackled a role in a while. And I feel like the way I would tackle a role now would be different. I think for a long time I've the work from a place of fear. Um so a lot of the stuff I did was very product oriented actually because I was afraid of messing it up. Um and so now that I'm older and don't uh care <laughs> as much about messing up, I think that I would f- I'm finally at this place where like I would approach the work from joy and like I think that makes all the difference, you know? Um, So the things I would write were like um, things I wasn't doing very well. (laughs) I would be like, don't, don't do this. You're messing this up. Stop doing that. Um, So it looks really mean. It looks like I got a lot of really mean notes, but they're just my notes, (laughs) 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 which is not very good. And then um, so a lot of the stuff I do outside of rehearsals is like memorizing. And it's just like you said, reading it over and over again, except I make flashcards And then in the rehearsals is when I do a lot of the trying things, physical stuff. I, I, you know, I am always looking for the arc and uh, I'll usually put it in my body first of like where the character ends up. And it can be very slight. It's usually like where in my spine, what's the spinal difference. Hmm. But I haven't really approached anything naturalism in a long time. it'd be
2: really fun to do something like realism. I feel like this is a moment to share. I mean, I know Chekhov's a long shop for drama shop at this moment, but I'm obsessed. And I have always wanted to do Three Sisters. And specifically, I've always wanted to do Three Sisters with Elena and Paula Barrett. And while I think that ship has unfortunately sailed, I've always thought like the three of us as the sisters, I mean, hello. Oh, I
0: would love to direct How
2: that. Interesting. So.
1: <laughs> that would be so what would be cool? It would be cool to do like a, a staged reading version where each night we f- we play a different sister.
0: Is that the one where someone is going to
1: Moscow? They're never yes. gonna see Moscow again. <laughs> Nobody's getting to spoiler alert. Yeah. Never gonna happen. But oh my god, actually, that would be perfect for quarantine, right? <laughs>
2: Nobody's Damn. going anywhere.
1: <laughs> Nobody. And it's just like people stuck in situations is all Chekhov. Actually, Chekhov's kind of brilliant. Other
0: yeah. than Chekhov or or maybe Chekhov is the answer to this question. Do you have a favorite playwright, Jess?
2: Oh, man. You know, it's tough because I feel like the only playwrights I've really read enough of to be like, oh, that's my favorite is like Shakespeare, Chekhov, and Annie Baker. But,
0: I like that triad.
2: You know, Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, Chekhov was like pretty famously a dick as a person, which in our moment where we're like, do we cancel people for being dicks or? It's hard, right? Yeah. So I guess Annie Baker, even though she also was once quoted as saying something like she doesn't write women in their 20s because they're not very theatrical or interesting, even though like when she said this, she herself was a woman in her 20s or something. I don't know. I'm sorry I brought that up because I, I do love her and I love her work and she said a lot of brilliant things about her work, but that you know Well, hey,
0: no one's listening anyway, so <laughs> <laughs>
1: do you have a favorite playwright, Elena? My play my favorite playwright's like whoever I'm reading at the moment. I'm very <laughs> I just go where the stream I mean, Shakespeare for sure, Beckett, Sarah Kane, oh, yeah. Sarah Rule, Wendy Wasserstein, Paula Vogel. I Ooh. feel like
0: anytime I pick a favorite. I then get to a point where their stuff stops being good. (laughs) And it's Mm. not. it probably is not that their stuff stops being good. It's probably just that for whatever reason, it stops resonating with me. Like, I think for a while I would have said David Mamet, and then he kind of, you know, not only did he just kind of a little bit go off the rails, but I also think his writing went downhill. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah Rule, I, I loved for a while, and then I feel like her newer stuff doesn't have quite the same magic that the older stuff has, um, but I st- but it's still great. I mean, a bad Sarah rule play is still an incredible piece of theater, right? So I don't mean to, to say that, but.
1: Well, here's, so like, are those are your favorite playwrights to read or to be in or to see?
0: Oh, you're right. That's a totally different thing.
1: Whoa. Do you know what I'm, I mean? For me, it is. Like, yeah. I don't want to see a lot of things <laughs> that I would love to be in. <laughs> yeah. I think that's. I'm a very. I think I'm a very selfish theater person lately.
0: I feel the same way about directing. I mean, there are well, and acting too. But but there are plays that I read and I'm like, man, I want to direct and design this. But I like I. When you asked about you know reading versus seeing, or I thought of Tony Kushner. And, oh,
1: Tony Kushner.
0: I mean, brilliant, yeah. I'm brilliant. So many. <laughs> but I. But the experience of sitting and reading Angels in America as opposed to working on or seeing Angels in America, totally, totally different experience.
2: Definitely. That's
1: such a good one. He's so good.
0: Jess, you had some wicked stuff to memorize in Angels in America.
2: But it was such a joy. And I actually, looking at the list you had put together of the shows I'd done at Drama Shop, I was thinking of that play in particular because it's so much of what I love, which is lots of characters, who I might not actually be the type for uh, if, you know, the type for. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
2: I love that stuff. And actually the hardest part was probably the character who was the most like, oh, you might cast cast Jessica as that, which was Emily, the nurse, I think was the hardest part because I felt like, oh, memorizing the procedure of what it looks and feels like to be a real nurse is really hard when you don't know that stuff. So that really hung up on that.
0: That stressed you out more than the like pages and pages of I'm going to say nonsense, although it's not nonsense, it's all very <laughs> purposefully chosen, but but the angel had some wicked like poetry. I don't know what else to call it.
2: Yeah. And, I think that's well said.
0: But the nurse part is what tripped you up.
2: Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that's grounded in reality and people know that the angel is big and As much as I had to, like, try to not hear, like, and I've never seen the film, even still, which is so terrible. I'm sorry, I just admitted that, but it's true. To not hear, like, an Emma Thompson cadence.
0: I don't think that's terrible, but I don't think, you've never seen the Angels in America miniseries.
2: Not in its entirety. I've seen scenes from it.
0: I don't think that's terrible at all, but I'm just, I'm shocked that I didn't know that. I know. That's,
2: no, that's fine. Great. That's not it bad was, at all.
1: It was really hard to not hear Meryl Streep do everything better.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I bet. It's, I felt the same it's way. It's good you
1: didn't see it. Well, you didn't.
2: luckily, the best scene that we got to do, my favorite <laughs> <I> scene, <know! laughs> wasn't even in the miniseries.
1: Yeah, I agreed. I love that scene. We were, like, looking at the house. I'm want to, um, like, you're the real estate agent. And I was, mm-hmm. mom.
0: I think back to that show. And I think, like, I think that was season four and five for us. We ended season four, started season five and like full disclosure cards on the table. We had no business doing that show at that point. None,
1: (laughs) none none at all.
0: That said, I mean, I think we did a really nice job with it and it's one that I would certainly love to revisit again, but like we were, but we babes in terms of producing theater. And like, I, I give you guys as actors in the production so much credit because so much of creating that world was was on the performances.
2: Oh, well, we had an amazing team. I mean, you and Sean and the rest of the cast. I great. do
0: I do think, yeah, that was another case where it was like, man, this is the right group of people to be working on. And
1: the visual at the end. Holy shit. With the angel coming through and figuring that out.
0: Yeah, when it worked, it was great.
1: <laughs> well, but that's what I was talking about today uh, was about, about device theater. Um, it's just like, you need to do things you're not ready to do. Yeah. The, I'm So I'm turning 35 this month and it's freaking me out. I haven't been freaked out by a birthday in a while. But this one's freaking me out. And like, one of the things I'm like realizing is people younger than me uh, are, there's a fear of like doing it wrong the first time. And I don't know where that cutoff is of like, it's this age and younger, but like that's definitely something I've, I've seen in the theater. Uh, is like you gotta get in there and get messy. And like our job is to support you and let you know like you can fail right now. Be, so I don't know, how has failure affected you positively in your theater journey?
2: I, I that's that's like a thing that you hear a lot when you're studying too. I'm sure you heard that a lot. I definitely did like, oh, fail big. Like, you know, fail as big as you can. Sin boldly, right? Yeah, and I was always like, I am trying. Like, how do you even fail? How do you fail big? Not to say that like I'm always delivering successes in my performance. It's not what I mean by that, but <laughs> but when somebody's making that a goal, it's like,, uh, it's hard to get your head around. Mm-hmm. How do I feel bigger? How do I feel yeah. better? Like, what does that even mean? I mean, I have a sense now of what that means. But at the time, like as an 18 year old, I was like, oh, like uh, I'm going to do it right. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Now I get it. Now I get it. It's about like, you know, making big choices and maybe they're totally wrong or they're totally the wrong vibe or you try something that you think is the wrong vibe on purpose. And I didn't get that at the time. So I guess more it's been like unraveling. What does that mean to me? The
1: ultimate sin of mediocrity.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Safe, non-specific. Blah.
2: Totally. I was always hope- hoping in undergrad that I'd have this moment where somebody would be like, you're not doing the work. And it's terrible. And I'm so upset. I really hoped, like, I hoped I was going to have this moment where somebody was really going to put me in my place. And I think that is, is definitely, like, a symptom of, of falling victim to the non-specific mediocrity. Like knowing you are not doing the work and wishing somebody else would call you out on it.
1: Yeah, well,
2: that's funny because
0: that. I I would never peg you as a lazy actor. I think you come in ready and willing to work and to take chances and.
2: Um, well, see, I, I do. I think I have that vibe, and I, or, or maybe it's that I'm a perfectionist, or we're all our own worst critic. But I always feel like I have yet to leave a show and think, oh, I did. the work i could have done i'm pleased with the amount of work that i did i always leave it thinking you know what i should have written down more actions i should have assigned more lines specifically with actions i should have made sure i knew the body better oh my gosh now that i have elena's thing about the arc of the body i'm gonna be thinking about that i better make sure i do that
0: So then that that kind of begs the question, if you're kind of in pursuit of something that's kind of unattainable, why do, and I guess I'm asking myself this as much as I'm asking you guys, why do we put ourselves through this over and over again?
1: (laughs) That's a great question.
0: I might have to edit it out if we don't have an answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're all just dreamy about it. Well, I think
1: it's like the, it's the journey, not the goal destination or whatever. Or in the Alexander technique, we talk about end gaining is if you go for the goal, you, you miss it. Uh, You don't succeed and you miss the whole like journey there type of thing. But I think, I think there's a spiritual connection and I don't, maybe it's just me, but you know, this thing we call theater has its roots in ritual and storytelling and it has its roots in spiritual practice and in ritual. And I do, I think there is for some performances and some stories and whatever, like, yes, we're storytellers and we're entertainers and we're all those things, but we're also like shapeshifters and shamans sometimes. And I think like, if you've ever gotten the taste of that, like spiritual experience where like Something takes over and it's that tapping into the bigger thing, whatever that is You can call it like the collective unconscious or you can call it God or you can call it Humanity or whatever or cellular memory like there's something bigger that happens sometimes and it is the most potent drug Right, and so it's kind of like we're all addicts a little bit
2: I think that's real and and you know We've referenced now a couple of times when we've had the privilege of actually working together with um particularly noteworthy crews, uh, and man, yeah, those moments where the group is right, the piece is right, you all feel like you're really saying something and you're not only connecting with each other, but your audiences. I mean, that's incredible. The vessel idea going back to the spirituality thing.
0: And I think, you know, having focused my attention really on directing for much of the last nine years, it's a different experience because I'm on the outside of it. I'm watching the ensemble hopefully have that experience and the audience, too, have that experience. And you see and feel when it happens. And on the flip side, you see and feel when it's not happening either. And that's the part that it's, it's oh, it hurts, right? It's heartbreaking, it Yeah.
2: Oh, man. I definitely committed, I feel like, a lot of sins with my one directing experience, the flick at Drama Shop. But I I agree with that, that it it becomes so hard to let it go and to be like, I did my job. They can handle it now. And uh, my cast did an amazing job. Yeah. There are these little things that if you're probably like all of us with how hard we are on ourselves and our standards that we're like, oh, that's not what I meant. Uh, I don't think that's what she's saying. Uh. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and I do think it's hard for actor-directors too, especially, and Jess, this is by no means a criticism because I loved, loved working with you as a director, but I think it's especially tricky when you're so focused on acting, it's hard to not imprint your own performance on every single performer in the show.
1: Totally. That's hard, and you become very detail-oriented. And like as a director, as that concierge, like your job is to set up the playground and then like let them go. And yeah, yeah it does it is super hard. But then like I think the more you do it, the more you see like people do things that you never would have thought of and they think it was your idea and you're <laughs> hmm No, baby, that was all you. <laughs> and that becomes like a really cool gift because true collaboration cannot been yeah. without the people in the room at the time. Yeah. Or it's just like something else, which it's not wrong. It's just not collaboration. And you're a collaborative person. So yeah, I thought the flick was great.
0: I truly, I loved the experience. I think, you know, having not acted in such a long time, I needed to be directed by an actor (laughs) do you know what i mean i needed that like sort of reminder of yeah of how to act because i hadn't done it in so long and i guess maybe even more than how to act how to stop acting right (laughs) yeah how Mm. to how to trust the material and and fall into the character rather than i mean i i I'm a presentational actor and 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 you did a really good job of smacking that out of me and I always no, appreciate it.
2: Oh, and using it and using it. You
0: absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> using it where it was appropriate, but but kind of, you know, calling me on my tells and on my my weaknesses. I so appreciate that from a director.
1: We all act all the time. So it's yeah. really great for those mask dropping moments. Like you can't drop a mask if you don't create the mask. So
0: I mean I, I especially my favorite scene in that show was the very last moment where Sam's alone in the theater and and you didn't you kind of gave me a little bit of like take more time really take in your surroundings <sighs> and it just allowed me to kind of be present and experience what was happening and take in the 3 hours that had just preceded it and and I don't know that a, a director who wasn't first and foremost, an actor would have been able to approach that with that kind of light touch that was still very effective.
1: And your girl, Annie Baker, loves some pauses. And like- Oh my God. And you're really good at being super honest about your impulses. Whereas I push, that is a thing I want. I want faster, 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 always. So like, I could not have directed that show because I would have pushed all those pauses. Well, yeah,
0: I, you did kind of drill us to like keep the pause, respect the pause, but make it a purposeful
1: act through
2: it.
0: Yeah. I don't want to put words <laughs> in your mouth. but Yeah.
2: And, you know, I don't know if that was always the right choice, but I, I personally love silences and pauses in storytelling. I know it's more of a cinematic device, but I love it i think so much happens in those moments and that's such a real look at all of our private moments of suffering and being ourselves and being alone as much as we're with others uh, i don't know there's something about it that's so stirring to me there's a moment in june bug it's an early amy adams movie it's great and and there's just this moment um There's no way to talk about this moment without spoilers. So I'll just say her mom is really sad in the kitchen and she's just sitting there at her kitchen table. And it's like the richest moment in cinema or, oh my gosh, the sexiest scene I've ever seen in a movie is drive. The two main characters are just staring at each other while she sits on a windowsill and he's standing. And it's like, oh my God, there's so much and all the things they're not saying. And it's so hot.
1: I love... People's hands, like Ooh. the way you like silences. I I exploit people's hands, like the hand flex in Pride and Prejudice. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where he touches her hand and she's getting in the cart, and like the camera pans to his hand, and he's like, and you're like, oh, oh, yes. it's so sexy. <laughs> um, but like for me, hands are always telling the truth on stage. Mm. Like so I. I don't have time for pausing, so I'm going to need your hands to tell (laughs) us so I can watch the action, but then watch your hands to be like, oh, that's what's really going on.
0: And I don't know what to do with my hands on stage.
1: (laughs) I know. Two cups.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, Sean put me in gloves in Nevermore because he wanted me to stop doing stuff with my
1: hands. (laughs) (laughs) he told me about that he was so proud of himself because he's like i don't think i don't think he knows and i don't think i heard his feelings no
0: i knew
2: i think he knows i knew
0: (laughs) i've always known
2: (laughs) do you have any storytelling obsessions my silence elena's hands
0: um i love when an audience feels uncomfortable oh yeah Like, obviously on purpose, not because the show's not going well or anything like that. (laughs) The
1: heater's broken. (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: No, I just, I love that, like, shared discomfort that serves a purpose in the story. I love that, like, feeling the room holding their breath kind of a thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I love that, like, feeling of tension, right? I mean, it's all about tension.
1: I like that undercut that the discomfort from the undercut too, besides yeah. the tension, but then the like tra- that tragic comedy, like they laugh and then you say something and you're like, oh god.
0: Or the thing that takes them by surprise, right? That the story's headed in one direction, and then all of a sudden something gets pulled out from underneath the character, and it just like you feel that that drop in your stomach. I love that. There was definitely
1: a moment when Jess, when you came on, when we did Trojan Women, and that was at Gannon. But when you came on with the baby, um, mm. and the audience just—they—they—they su- they just sank. I mean, it's Greek, right? Like it's not going to be happy. It's going to be sad. Um, and we chose to um, not use a prop baby, right? We cast—we um, cast a young young actress to play the young young boy um, and to play your grandchild. And then when you came out with this child, it, it's really hard I think as an actress when you're on stage and that you can feel that in the audience and like you want to like respect it and respond to it but not like relish in it because then that's like a, it's like abusing your power in that moment. How do you find the right balance of like responding to what the audience is giving you but also as a Stella Adler person respecting the fourth wall?
2: Yeah, I feel like in general i'm not super aware of the audience in the moment i think it's a little different when you're doing comedy you're very aware of the audience right they're part of the storytelling mm-hmm.
1: but when you're doing
2: something like trojan women um yeah, i wasn't super aware of them honestly so i'm i'm glad to hear that, that 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 moment was so charged because i think a lot of times being in it i, I don't know
1: mm. I feel like I'm always like right behind my character. Like I definitely know, I'm like acknowledging it, noticing what's happening. There are moments where I pull out, almost like not entirely Brechtian where you're standing completely behind your character, but there are definitely moments where I pull out of it. um, Oh, totally. You know, like the camera pans back a little bit. And uh,
2: I feel like you can feel when it's going badly. You can feel when you've lost them. And you and I and then I definitely have that moment you're talking about where I'm very aware of the character and myself. And that's like a moment where you're like, oh, I'm so glad I have technique (laughs) or like get your head back in the game. (laughs) So what? You'll get them back. You'll get them back.
1: Use it. Use it in the moment. It just Ah. delicious
0: obstacle. How great for you. Mm hmm. I think it's great in terms of an obstacle. I think that feeling, though, of like being just behind your body. Oh, I hate that. That happened to me a couple of times in Nevermore, where uh, actually it was the song, The Raven. I feel like I know not everybody has that poem memorized, but I felt like some people might. (laughs) And so there's absolutely zero room for me to mess up, right? So I've got to get it exactly right. But then you get to that point where when you feel so solid about a section of a show, you almost kind of disengage and stop paying attention. And I suddenly was like, yeah, it's that out of body experience where I was just behind myself thinking ahead to the next part. And then I'm like, no, you got to get back in there. You're still doing this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I honestly, and I know it sounds like an excuse, but like, I know we joke about how I don't do musicals that's why i don't do musicals and I, with music i get so nervous that i'm out of it i'm behind my character and i'm just trying not to f it up and it's not fun at all and i get i get like stage sick i get uh, nervous i'm afraid i'm going to forget my words and i often do <laughs> like but i can't do musicals i'm like too afraid of them which is i
0: just feel I should- all of that I just feel all of that on stage in general, so. Oh, really? I love uh, yeah. it. <laughs> Jess, what about you? Do you, have, do you have nerves or?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and actually I feel like the humans was one of the worst ones. I was really uh, nervous every night for that play. And I started to think, ugh, I'm not, I'm not past this. I'm not old enough that I can't be past this. Well, I mean it is it's a different
0: kind of creature that show because it unfolds in real time and so you don't really have I mean everyone's pretty much engaged the whole show even if you had a moment off stage it was I have these lines and then I'm back on kind of a thing. And and it's also one of those shows where you're pretty much on stage the whole time so there's a qu- sort of vulnerability I think to that.
2: That's true. I think I've also and and I guess this goes back to what I said before about Emily in Angels in America and Emily less so than Bridget in The Humans but I've always found it harder to do characters that are more like myself. I related a lot to Bridget and I saw a lot of myself in Bridget which I'm not necessarily proud of but I find that those are much harder. And and I got that is one thing I did get called out in school for. They were like, "Oh, you love to have a dialect. You love to be somebody very distant from yourself.
1: But wouldn't you say that that may be related to the whole, like, I don't feel like I'm working hard enough. Cause if you're creating a character and stepping into it, you've like, you're working, like you're doing it. You can feel confident, but if you're like bringing yourself to the character and you know, then you're like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not good. This is nothing. Like that's a real thing for sure. And you've done film. Like you do so
2: much film and isn't that a lot of you? Uh yeah, I guess that's true. Um the film projects I did at NYU and stuff were were definitely I mean actually I had a film student friend who a lot of those characters were written for me. Um which is amazing. Everybody should have that. Find yours today. Yeah. Um <laughs> We all I'm need trying. a film
0: student I'm trying I'm trying to write for Elena, but it's not I'm I'm not there yet. <laughs>
2: Uh, I think you're doing a good job. You're
1: awesome. doing it. You got it. Um, but you and you were in that Mr. Rogers movie.
2: Oh, yeah. But just for a hot sec, like I'm playing somebody in the art department at Esquire magazine. And so how is like, that
1: not written for you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had some amazing blue pants. I think your that pants. Was I remember highlight. you talked
1: about your pants
2: a <laughs> lot. <laughs> That's the only way you'll see me. <laughs> the Look
0: pants. for the pants. Look yeah. for the blue pants.
2: Mm -hmm. very early in the movie, before he gets his assignment, right before he gets his assignment.
0: So let me go like real big philosophical now. What inspires you as an artist? What are you super passionate about that translates into what you do as an actor?
2: This is so good and so relevant to the technique training that I have because they were like, make notes of everything, everything that makes you feel anything. And it's something I've been thinking that I really want to revisit. And uh, definitely social injustice is uh, definitely on my mind. I mean, today in particular, uh, I, I really hope to be a part of work that serves that. I'm still not sure. I mean, I know I need to use my privilege to do that somehow. I'm not sure how relevant my voice is as a creator. How, Or rather, how, how for it to be relevant? What place does it have? How does it advance that um i cry really easily at people doing nice random things for each other i saw this thread of pictures one of which was like this really attractive young woman dressed for a night out next to this older woman and she told the story about how the woman said to her oh i remember when my girlfriends and i used to do that i miss those days And and the young woman said to her oh well we're all out now so join us and I was just like yes that's yes also in that one there's that sisterhood and sisterhood across ages and, and, and you know the woman the young woman was dressed very provocatively and that the older woman just saw young women going out and having a good time and, and they had this incredible connection I was like oh, oh, that kind of thing is we need more of that.
0: Mm. love that. Elena what about you?
1: So when I was studying yoga, and like you kind of had to like figure out what your yoga was, uh, Layla was one of the Sanskrit words that means like divine play, and I remember being like, yeah, that's like kind of my thing. And then there was this, so it was like divine play, and then this other word that I can't remember, and it means like liberation. And I remember like that was the yoga words they assigned me that they were like, this is your brand of yoga that we see. That like when we were doing yoga, I was the one that was like, "We're all gonna pretend to be dogs now." <laughs> like I would bring acting exercises into my yoga classes, and I thought they're gonna fail me. I don't know, but they were like, "This was great. This was so amazing and fun." So there was Leela, I think it is Leela or Layla, which means divine play, and then um, this liberation. And they were like, mm. "You give people the permission to be exactly who they are." and i was like that's what i want to do i that's what i want to do i want to give people permission to be exactly who they are and then some there's this notion that makes me cry which is that like we are all children <laughs> like we were all loved into existence in some way and we're all children and when we were working on it happened it started and i'm sure it's cuz i had a kid it started when i had a kid and then like we Like I can't watch anything about war anymore because I just see these babies, babies being killed. And like, so the more I can like humanize people and, and hold up the mirror to be like all the people that you think of as other, that's something I have to work on and be like, they are all the children of God, whatever that means. Like they are all children. So that really moves me.
2: I love that. I want you to go back, Zach, and edit out my answer, and just have me saying, <laughs> yeah, <that>? me too. <laughs> play, and everyone should be who they are, and we're all we're all just really children.
0: What a profound and original thought you just had, Jess.
2: Oh, wow. Thank you. I wasn't trying to be profound or original. I took it. It was yeah. Elena's. It's moksha. It was
1: moksha-lila, which is uh, liberation and divine play.
2: Everybody needs to play more. That's how people get old. Yeah. They stop playing.
0: I would say for, for me, it's about connection. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what inspires me as a person is trying to connect with people, which is funny because I'm an introvert, so I don't actually want to like connect. Like, I don't want to talk, I don't want to make small talk with you or anything like that. That's, that is my nightmare. But, Small um, talk's
2: the absence of connection, though, kind I of. I suppose you're that. right. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I think that's, to me, that's the whole magic of theater is that connection that that is is felt, even if it's not acknowledged verbally or through laughter or whatever. I mean, you feel that connection between the people in that room. And I think that's what I'm so missing right now
2: mm-hmm. during
0: this quarantine, too. I mean, we talked about that when we talked to the cast of Silent Sky. I asked them the question of, when you were performing that show, did you feel a connection with the audience? And the first person who answered said, no, not really. And I thought, oh, I, I understand why, but man, that sucks. Because that's so much of what we do as theater artists is the connection between actor and audience in that room, in that moment. So for me, it's the pursuit of that connection and i think just in life too that feeling connected to a community feeling connected to those who have gone before you i'll get kind of spiritual like elena here but like that type of connection that that goes beyond what we know and understand i very much believe in and i think it's very much a part of the magic of what we do in the theater yeah yeah here's a fun little kind of either or question would you rather have a production that you're in be let's say, commercially successful or popular, or would you rather have it be a personally rewarding experience for you?
2: No, I want it all.
0: That's fair. <laughs> That's
2: fair. Uh, How yeah. successful? <laughs> yeah, right. What are we talking about? <laughs> so it's a it's a tricky question because, you know, I think if we are thinking of this as a career, if we are thinking of this as one opportunity begets another, Commercial success and popularity is great because maybe that enables the next project to be what you really care about what you want it to be. You have more clout in some way that you get to choose. It's ideal that it's both. And I think at this point, I'm old enough now that when I am trying to work again, uh, really seriously, it'll, I will not just take any job. Uh, whereas, you know, when you're young and you're like, I just got to get in it. You need it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm too old for that. Like if I don't care about it, I can't, I have to find something that I care about or that I think is true or real. And, and I think that's all of us, right? Do we have any business being part of telling a story that to us is not valuable in some way? When it was
1: just me, I would do anything just to keep busy all the time. That's just how I had to deal with my life and my, my shit. But now that I have a child, like I have to think of everything as like, I'm taking time away from him. So it's got to be good. It's got to be something, at least for me, I got to be able to make it meaningful to me.
2: Yeah, I guess that's easy to say that like, oh, yeah, I would totally turn down a paying gig that I didn't care about. Um, I probably wouldn't. But <laughs> the ideal is to not have to be concerned with that. I wouldn't do anything I had a problem with like. I remember reading like actors access descriptions for female characters right out of school and they were all like bikini girl like must be comfortable with nudity no pay and I was like no (laughs) women are more than attractive bodies. Um, so I wouldn't do that stuff, but I might do something that I didn't have a strong pull towards (laughs) if if, paycheck was, if you're like, Hey, I want to be a bikini girl. Go, go for you. You do totally. No, that's amazing. And I would find some new empowerment in that, in the right context. But usually these were vapid contexts with no lines.
0: So if you're in that production, then that let's say you're in a production and it's like, it's not popular or it's not being well-received or audiences aren't turning out, is it possible for that to still be a rewarding experience for you as a performer? Or does that, do you you become a defeatist and just kind of say like, oh man, this, I blew it, we blew it, whatever.
2: I would truthfully probably feel some level of guilt, but ultimately there's a very, good likelihood i think with the projects i've had the privilege to be involved with and that i hope that trend continues that it will have reached at least one person and i think that's worth it and also we can't ignore the value that it has to us and to our teams it would have to be a pretty bad experience i think within the team for it to be like but even then you learn something you learn about your boundaries you learn about how you'll handle situations better next time. And of course they never happen again, but at least, you know, so uh, I think it would still be worth it in almost all cases. What about you? You're a producer also. So like there's a different element to it.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say like, say a show is poorly attended. I think more than anything, I feel a sense of disappointment that not more people got to have the experience that we had or that, that we put the work into something and maybe people didn't get a chance to, to see it and to experience it. And, and you said guilt, I think that's that's probably a word I would use too, is like, I feel that guilt of like, what should I have done differently to get more butts in seats, right? Or what should I have done differently to get more word of mouth going on this particular show? Mm, totally. But it's that's the thing, it's impossible. Like you could have all the right ingredients and for whatever reason they don't show up, But then we had that crazy weekend in February actually during, I think it was opening weekend of Nevermore where like literally everyone had a show going on and we were all like selling out, selling really well. I think Elena, that was uh, the wolves and you guys Mm -hmm. were sold out. And I think PACA, like literally all in act, we were all selling out. The playhouse was, was very near capacity. You would think that with all of us having shows up at the same time that we were going to just kind of pull from each other. But People turned up, which means they're there. <laughs> and so, you know that that was
1: right before quarantine? It was, which looking yeah. back, it's like it was this great moment where we all... It's was like we knew. Did we like know, exactly. Knew. And they were like, I got to get out. I got to have this holy experience before I've been a cage for three months. Like, that was right before quarantine. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I, I yeah. thought
0: about that the other day, that it was crazy that we went from this phenomenal, like, Everybody going to the theater to this you can't we all have to close our doors. So Mm -hmm. It's a weird time. I'll ask one last question if I can. Why do we do this? Why do you do theater?
2: I Feel like through our various questions We've all kind of come to a similar place and both of you like jump in correct me if I'm wrong about that but that the connection and with, with, with our fellow actors, with our team, with the audience, and then the connection to a, the text and and to the people who came before and um, the people who will come after. And then also the play. Oh yeah. Play. I mean, not the play, not the script, but like to play The
0: playing. Yeah.
2: The playing. Yeah. That's better said <laughs> that, that stuff, I guess. And, and when I'm feeling lofty, the, the notion of, of being a vessel or a voice to bring forth some great kernel of truth
1: the act of creation it's sacred whether you're creating people or <laughs> food or like work we are we are creating and we are serving and we are nourishing it's a very giving process it's funny cuz you think of actors as these vapid creatures but actually like, it's so nourishing. It's a giving act.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's about community, right? And that's, mm. that's I think, what we're all missing so much right now and can't wait to get back to is, is playing with our communities and just having fun and exploring and telling stories and discovering new things about ourselves and about each other. And I have to say, I, both of you, I, we've worked together a number of times. I'm realizing, I don't think I realized just how many times until we had this conversation tonight and, and it's always a new experience. And I, I love working with you both and I'm so glad to have this opportunity to talk to you both.
2: Thank you. Likewise, you're my favorites too. Don't tell anyone slash tell everyone you're my favorites.
0: Mm, mm. So you heard it here first on Shop Talk. <laughs> Elena Manchester and Zach Plock are Jessica nunziata's favorites.
2: I stand by it. <laughs> no, but truly,
0: I've, I've, I've wanted to have you on Shop Talk for a long time because like I've said before, the three of us have had so many great conversations over the years and I feel like we could just keep going and going, but those three people who are listening are probably sick of us by now. So. <laughs>
2: probably. <laughs> but we're probably. so charming.
0: <laughs> all right, folks. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Shop Talk. Alina Manchester, Jessica Anunziata, thank you so much for being here. Shop Talk is the official podcast of Drama Shop and is brought to you by Gannon University's Schuster Theater. Thanks to our friends at Gannon, we look forward to the day when your lights are back on and all of our lights are back on. And we're all back doing what we love so very much. You can check out all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can also check them out on dramashop.org. That'll do it for Shop Talk. Thanks for listening.